Hello and welcome to Constantino Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 4 episode, Into the Fire. So, this is it. This is the big, awesome conclusion to the Shadow War. The arc that has been building since the Gathering in Season 1. It's been running through this series since the very start. And it finally comes to a head right here, right now. Um, and it's an interesting choice to end it off six episodes into the fourth season. Of course, we know about the compression of season four and five uh, due to fear of cancellation and indeed cancellation before being picked up by TNT. But regardless of that fact, uh, the Shadow War was always supposed to end early. In season four, like maybe episode seven, eight, possibly stretching to ten, at, at at the furthest, it was always going to end early, because Jameis uh, really loves to look at something and go, okay, here's the big situation, the the big climax that ends, and now what? Babylon Five dares to ask the question. And now what? A lot of franchises, a lot of shows, a lot of comics, any any creative medium, this right here, Into the Fire, this would be your series finale. This would be your final issue. This would be your final episode or your big ending movie, etc., etc., etc. Babylon 5 doesn't work that way. It wants you to go, okay, and now what? Because, as we have seen throughout history, when something big like this happens, something that changes the face of the world forever, there is no going home again, as the saying says. And so the world is going to change. And what's going to happen when people aren't willing to change with it? Or what happens to install those changes? Etc. And so this is something that B5 will repeatedly do. Uh, complete with what I think is season five's greatest strength, which we, uh, even though a lot of people don't really care for that season, and I will talk about that when we get there, but I think this is the real strength of ending the Shadow War so early into season four. Now, I want to talk about the Londo stuff real quick before I get into the big end of the Shadow War. So, um, Londo has some fantastic scenes in this episode. Uh, of course, that very famous one with Mr. Morden. But one thing I really like is that his, throughout his entire run on this show, we have never seen him in a, a in such a serious zone and in a place where he has so much leverage over someone like Mr. Morden. Because he's finally in a position of power that he can deal with Mr. Morden accordingly. And he can save his entire world, which was the entire point of everything he's been doing so far, is always for the Centauri people. Uh, and there's an inherent tragedy in there in which he thinks he's got it all. He thinks he's got it wrapped up in a nice little bow. Uh, and then two things strike. First... Drano, the Minister of Intelligence, 
uh, tells Londo that Cartesi had him investigate Adira Tyree's death. And when the per per perpetrator was found out, they kept it a secret so long as Cartesi was alive because Cartesi did not want Londo to go on a rampage that he knew he would go on. And it's revealed, as, I, as it was pretty obvious to us, the viewer, uh, last season, Mr. Morden was the one that killed her. Not, you know, not Rifa. And as a result, Londo just can't, like, he has finally had leverage. He finally had the position to come at Mr. Morden with all his might and say, finally, I can release my shackles from you permanently and ensure you don't enslave anyone else uh, through your manipulations and your deals. And then this slips right underneath. And Londo's sense of not not necessarily superiority, but accomplishment is diminished as he can't keep his composure and he just breaks down tells Adrana to leave and then he just trashes the room and there's just this amazing outburst of emotion that Jurassic you know Peter Jurassic just acts the hell out of and then he he you know sort of slides down the wall and collapses into tears and there's this sense of poetic irony because he's right next to a picture of himself standing tall, dignified as the classic Centauri. And you see him in reality, a broken, saddened man, all a result of wanting to create the world in which Centauri could be tall, dignified and respected again. This is in a way his fault. And that provides a level of tragedy there that he has finally come to terms with what is going to transpire and what has transpired. Much like he says at the very end of the episode, you know, the universe hates me. You know, every time I'm happy, it decides to treat me to another lesson, basically, you know, to kick me in the butt. Uh, and then, of course, he confronts Morden, which... Epic scene. Everybody knows it. Hey, if you've seen the show, you love that scene. It is fantastic. And I remember when I first watched it. I was first watching this series. That scene is tense as hell. And you just watch Londo just walk rings around Mr. Morton as he finally just hammers in the nails of the coffin. Just bam, bam, bam. And Mr. Morgan's composure is slowly diminished. You can tell he wants to be that always suave, clever, slimy snake that he is. But he realizes Londo has the upper hand and he, that, that facade is starting to break. And, of course, Londo, you know, blowing up the island of Selene as the big, gigantic middle finger to him in the shadow saying, you're done. You know, there's nothing you could do that I hadn't already figured out and done. You know, you used me, now I used you. And it's brilliant. But it's almost like a telltale game in a way. You know, whenever you select a dialogue option, blah, blah, blah. Well, remember that this uh, this action will have consequences. Um Way back in, uh, you know, uh, early season two, the Techno Mage made a mention that Londo is forever going to be paying for his mistakes. Uh, that was that is what the rest of his life is going to be like. 
And this is cemented here because he has defeated the shadows. You know, he got them off Centauri Prime. He won up Mr. Morden, killed Mr. Morden, and gave Veer exactly what he wanted, the ability to wave at him cheekily with his head on a pike. And it wasn't enough. The Vorlons are still coming to destroy Centauri Prime, and they were going to destroy Centauri Prime if it was not for the actions of the Army of the Light, causing the Vorlons to pull back and send all their reinforcements in, uh, to... Uh, the battle to solve that situation because Londo was still influenced by the shadows. He remains a black dot in the universe, a grand hole sucking everything out. And this action, regardless, like, regardless of all his other actions that led to this situation, this one action is still going to have consequences down the line. As we know from the future... We know for a fact that uh, he's going to become emperor and he's going to have the creature called the Keeper on him that controls him. And there is a sense of foreboding dread coming across the viewer as you watch the scene because you see Londo finally do what he had to do and get the results that were necessary and justified. And it's awesome all the way through. And you know that also it's going to come with a price. He's already paid for all his mistakes. He almost got his entire world destroyed while trying to save it. And now his entire world, you know, metaphorically, his entire life is going to come crumbling down in the not too distant future. There's just this sense of overwhelming tragedy that revolves around Londo that I think is really perfect that no matter how badass and awesome that scene is and people can get lost in that sense of one-upmanship in that scene between Londo and Mr. Warden that it still comes with a hint of tragedy and sadness in it. This was a win but only a temporary win. You know um, it, it is possible to win and still lose as I like to say and that's exactly what happens with Londo. Now uh, let's get to the big conclusion. So, of course, the Army of Light is basically funneling the the Shadows and the Vorlons to confront each other. They want one big situation. It's a crucible. It's going to be the fire in which everything is decided. As Kosh said, how will this all end? In fire. And that is the situation we are in is that the, Marcus really points this out at the very beginning. You know, it's cold calculus. It's simple, hard math. Which which side do we take? We can't. Uh, whose lives do we save? Well, uh, whichever has the bigger number. Because right now, even though there are 3 billion lives at stake on the other planet, we have to worry about the 6 billion. You know, it's... It's a complicated situation of being a leader and, or, you know, as we confronted last issue of ordering people to go die. And now this is a situation where there is no saving anybody. You just got to hope. Hope for the best. And Sheridan's plan is perfect. Um, he, uh, nice callback to when he got the name Starkiller. Uh, when he won the oh, the one and only victory in the Earth-Mimbari War by blowing up the, uh, the, the Black Star by mining two asteroids with nukes 
and luring them in and then blowing them up. Uh, that is the only way he won. And that's exactly how he wins the Shadow War too, is because he gets their attention. It devolves into a fight, a fight that they need to stop uh, because there is no way they will win. I like how Sheridan is completely and bluntly honest. Whenever it's like, we, you know, we can take them on. No, we can't. There's no winning against them. Against one of them, maybe, possibly, very minusculely. Against both of them, no way in hell. And he can't get the Vorlons of the Shadows to just sit down and talk and listen. So he pulls, you know, the ace up his sleeve out, which is the first ones. And I love how we are shown the majesty of the first ones. They just come in, you know, like the wrath of God and just blow up ship after ship. The planet killers, the Vorlons, just gone in a matter of seconds. They are outclassed. In every way, shape, and form. This is a battle of the gods. A war in heaven. They do not stand a chance. Which is why Sheridan has to do what he has to do. Which is, uh, he gets their attention. And the shadows and the Vorlons finally sit down and talk. They talk, uh, the Vorlons talk to Sheridan. Shadows talk to Delenn. And Lorien, brilliantly, broadcasts it to everyone. And this is something I really like about Lorian is that he's only been around for six episodes, but we have a very clear view of who and what he is. Um, you know, he he was the first, uh, and he has he almost has the answers to everything, but he will let you th figure out things on your own. He won't force something on you. He doesn't control you. Uh, unlike the Vorlons in the Shadows that want you to see the things their way, and that's it. It's their way or the highway. With Lorian, it is, I know what I know. The question is, do you know what I know? And how do you determine what you know? Uh, and he lets you answer the questions for yourself. It's much more personal. He offers aid, he offers guidance, he offers knowledge. But he uh, uses a hands-off approach. As we see with Ivanova, continuing her arc of absolute misery and pessimism, is that entire conversation they have about immortality is amazing. It's a, it's a speech I go back to a lot. That, you know, he senses that Ivanova's, you know, just not, not letting her heart talk anymore because she's a skeptic. And he... Asks her, you know, the skepticism is the language of the mind. What does your heart tell you? And she's like, my heart and I don't talk much anymore. Uh, and he's trying to convey to her that she cannot lose hope. But he's letting her come to that conclusion, not forcing it upon her. As he simply states, you know, uh, you know, because of the way humans are and the way Ivanova has experienced life, to her, love diminishes. Uh, everything dies, as she says. And, you know, her mother died, father died, Tali is possibly dead, but if in nothing else, she's, you know, uh, a puppet for the side core. You know, everybody she's ever cared about, gone, vanished. And she has no one to care for. It's all gone. As, as I keep mentioning, this is... This is her crucible to go through, the pessimism, the loss, the misery. And he says, you know, uh, 
I don't die. You know, I'm immortal, but there are ways to kill me. But I realize that everything turns to ash eventually. I have seen, as people uh, grow old and die, I've watched as love is diminished. But you, as a human, you still believe, you know, and that, you know, you uh, only people whose life are short can believe that love is eternal. You should embrace that remarkable illusion. It is perhaps the greatest gift your race has ever received. And it's a very, very poignant message. He's telling her that she is experiencing the pain of someone who has lived far too long, but she has not been around that long. She needs to embrace the here and now. Because that's all she's got. And they have hope again. And do not lose hope like everyone else. Be that hope for someone else. And it's a message that hits me personally. Because, um, you know, my hiatus that I took starting in October uh, was a result of losing someone very close to me. Uh, you know, that I thought was going to be around forever. And, you know, he... It hurt, and uh, I understand how Ivanova feels, but I also understand what Lorien is trying to say. Cherish those moments you have, because you never know when it's going to be gone. So embrace the idea that it can be eternal. Live right now, and don't get bogged up in the, in the past or the future. But back to the big Shadow War conclusion. It's brilliant that the Vorlons, their, their sort of emissary, the way that the form they take in Sheridan's mind, is a woman encased in ice with her uh, eyes veiled, uh, and she speaks telepathically. There's just this sense of not only superiority, but elegance that uh, our way brings prosperity and beauty and kindness and our way is the best way because you will prosper. You will forever be encased in this cage, yes. Perfectly immortalized. But you will live out a life of luxury in that cage. It's peace at the barrel of a gun. That's what it is. And the shadows in Delin's head take the form of her friends. This is very shadow-like, whereas... Uh, they, they take the form of something personal to you. They always come and ask you, what do you want? You know? And so, they personally uh, sort of question you. And because they keep changing over time, it adds this chaotic nature of you never know who's talking uh, exactly. And it also adds this sense of unwariness. They're attacking you personally, and yet you can't be sure of what angle it's coming from. You know, you don't see the attack until it's there. And this is where it's finally done with. Sheridan points it out beautifully. This is this is a war of ideology. It is a war in which two parents are bickering in front of their child to get them to pick a side. It is all about... My side is right, your side is wrong. 
they could have ended this war at any point in time they wanted. They chose to keep it going because it's not about killing the messenger. It's about killing the message. It's about proving, proving without a shadow of a doubt that my way is right, your way is wrong. And that mentality is incredibly destructive. And I've brought that up many, many, many times. It's what continues the cycles of violence. It's what perpetuates shit and misery throughout this entire world. And it is literally a large-scale version of what the Drazi were doing. You know, the green and purple, remember that? It's basically that. And, and that's why Sheridan goes, you know, understanding is three-inch sword, your side, their side, and the truth. The truth is separate from the propaganda of two separate sides. You cannot tell the truth while, while trying to convince people to come to your side. The moment you do that, you have perverted the truth. And that is the ultimate flaw. And I think in the years of 2020 and 2021 that the past few episodes have been recorded in, I think we really see that come to a head in real life, especially here in America. But regardless, um, this, this is a true lesson we all must learn. We have to stand on our own. We have to come to our own judgments our own feelings we have to seek out the truth willingly and not forcibly and understand the truth rather than be fed the truth by others and sheridan then points out the hypocrisy in them that they ask these questions who are you and what do you want but they never ask the questions of themselves they're in a perpetual cycle you know uh the 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 Vorlons are all about order, and they want you to obey them at all costs. It's peace at the barrel of a gun. Meanwhile, the shadows offer chaos. They offer Darwinism. It's the survival of the fittest, and it, whoever comes out on top is rewarded. Uh, it's complete and utter misery. Both sides do not offer good results. And that that's the problem, is that they continue the cycle because it's all they've ever known and they don't acknowledge their own flaws because they want to prove so badly that they are right and just and correct that it destroys everyone around them and that is the sad sad truth of this war is it's a petty argument so many lives were lost so many worlds destroyed all because two people couldn't sit down and talk and compromise this is ridiculous and yet it's so true to what we experience in real life every day on the small scale the big scale the political scale everything and that's why i get aggravated when i see people complain about the way it ends the, you know, the Shadow Warriors, that it wasn't long enough or four seasons of build-up to get to, they just sit down and talk. And, you know, the, and the, the Get the Hell Over Galaxy is so, so weak, even though I think it's an amazing scene. Uh, and you just can't help but cheer when Sheridan finally says, get the hell out of our galaxy, the both of you. That this was not a war that could be win conventionally. Let's ignore for a second the allegories and the social commentary and the political commentary of this war and let's look at in universe there's no fucking way they could win period 
Shadows of Warlands outclassed them. They keep repeating that over and over and over the past four seasons. Should have gotten into your head. There is no way that they could just do a big battle, destroy them all, and win. That's A, antithetical to the themes of this series, first of all. And, and second of all, it is just disingenuous to believe that could happen within the laws of this own fictional universe. But going back to the thematic portion of it, it also conveys what really won this war was self-sacrifice and unity. Uh, the only way to get to truth uh, to the truth is to ignore the propaganda, come together, and see through it all. Refuse to pick a side. And we see Sheridan and Delenn sacrifice on behalf of everyone to convey this message of the Vorlons in the Shadows. And then as the Vorlons in the Shadows basically put their you know, fingers in their ears, going, well, well, I refuse to listen, I refuse to listen, and try and destroy the message that Delenn and Sheridan are sharing, the other races step in. This is the biggest fleet ever assembled in galactic history. It's all of different races, all working together in the belief that unity and self-sacrifice is necessary to move on. And that is, that is the ultimate end of the Shadow War, is the belief that people can move on. And compromise and unify and become whole again. Themes very relevant to today, I think. But themes relevant in many times throughout history, even when this was made, before it was made, but as someone who's living through the current times, I think it is especially prevalent right now. But right here, we have also a nice allegory for the way we grow up. You know, Sheridan points out it's like two parents bickering, forcing the child to pick a side. This is the dawn of the third age of mankind, as stated repeatedly in the openings of the past few seasons. And Sheridan points this out. You know, finally we can stand on our own, make our own decisions. Uh, and, you know, it began the first age in chaos. Too, too complicated for us to understand. We were too primitive at the time. And then we were manipulated by outside sources to get, uh, get us to go their way, the way they want us to go. And then finally, the third age dawns upon us in which we are able to stand on our own two feet, make our own choices, our own decisions. We will make mistakes, we will stumble, we will fall, but at the end, we will get back up. That is not only the way in which this happened in universe, but it's also an allegory for the way we evolve as creatures, as human beings. You know, you start out as a child, an infant, not understanding the world around you. You grow up and you're 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 a child now or a teenager and you understand that your parents know best. And then when you grow old and you become an adult, you must stand on your own two feet and not let your parents make your decisions anymore. You can take their advice, but they must stand back and let you make your own mistakes. Learn and evolve and change and grow. That is the way we as a species continue. Uh, and I like that. There's so many themes wrapped up in this one conclusion. And I think the people who expected a big battle are looking at the wrong things. This 
is a perfect, uh, you know, conclusion, perfect climax to what has been going on for the past four seasons. And it's big. It's it's about the nature of humanity and the way we think and our processes, our tribal, uh, tribalistic instincts. It's all about analyzing humanity. The much more personal, emotional, um, and saddening conflicts are yet to come. But that is part of the what now segment of Babylon 5 that makes it such a strong series is it doesn't just say and then we win it says and now what so anyway fantastic fantastic episode um I think it is easily in the top top tier of my episodes uh and one of the best conclusions to a long-running story arc I have seen in any medium whatsoever uh but you know, that that's just my opinion. But anyway, see you uh, next time. Bye. <laughs>